Hi, and welcome to the Life Source Christian Church Audio Lounge with Senior Ministers John and Anne Juliano. Have you ever wondered about how to better connect with God? Well, that's exactly what we're going to help you with in this week's show, where you'll learn how to more fully love God, grow spiritually, and help others. I would like to um, turn to the Word of God with you just now. And in doing that, what I want you to do is to imagine you're old, 97 maybe, um, just a bit older than you are, a bit older than I am. Uh, You're an old man, you've been involved in Christian ministry all your life, you've been involved in church planting, you can point to a series of significant churches that are the result of your ministry and um, it's about AD 95 and you're on the Isle of Patmos and your name is John. And as you contemplate the fact that you're going to go to be with the Lord pretty soon, you want to give some advice to some of these very significant churches that you were instrumental in the planting and growth of. Seven churches, in fact, mentioned at the beginning of the book of Revelation in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. And so John, towards the end of his life, thinking about these churches, gives advice to these churches. And the advice, the advice is the book of Revelation. Now, we read it from a long, long way away, and we're caught up with the fabulous imagery and the fantastic pictures in there, and we get a little bit sidetracked by all that stuff. And I know evangelists make a living out of all that stuff. But in reality, it's a pretty simple book. He used all the imagery because he didn't want to get the political authorities annoyed with him. But it's a pretty simple book. The Revelation really has one very simple message. Anyone guess what that might be? Two words. Well done. In fact, that's a bit presumptuous, actually. God wins. (laughs) Revelation says God wins. But underneath that, the subheading is we win. And I want to think about that for a moment this morning. So if you have your Bible, if you don't have your Bible, I think it will come up on the screen. I'm going to read from Revelation chapter 12. Now, this is just one snapshot of the message that flows all the way through the book of Revelation. And I will read two verses. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10 says this. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now, that's 2,000 years ago, Now, the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. What does that say? God wins. Go down to verse 11. And they have conquered him. They are we. They are believers in Jesus Christ. They have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Father, I pray as we look at this portion of your word that will encounter you. Speak to us, reveal yourself to us, Changes, we pray, in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Basically, the book of Revelation is written to encourage Christian believers that God wins, and that by extension, they win. That's what the book is all about. If you read the first couple of chapters, you'll realize that the churches that he wrote to were under pressure. Economic marginalization, social marginalization, overt persecution. One of the pastors has died. One of the pastors has probably been martyred 
for his leadership of the church, for his faith in Jesus Christ. So there's pressure on the church. What do you say to a church under pressure? Pretty well the same thing you say to a church that doesn't feel it's under pressure. You remind them that God is on the throne, that God wins, and that we should act like we are winners. In 1974 and 1975, I had my last two years of high school. I went to a GPS school, so one of those snotty boys' schools um, in Perth, the one I went to. Uh, and I had the privilege for my last two years of, going, of playing in the first 18. We played footy. If you've been to a GPS school, you know there's only one important thing, and that's sport, beating the other schools. And I played in the first 18 for those couple of years. It was a, it was a great privilege. We played Aussie rules, obviously, in Perth. In the first 18, we didn't lose a game for two years. Uh, we were fabulous. You can respond. <laughs> we were uh, magnificent. We were outstanding. We were glorious. There were some wonderful footballers in that side, of whom I'm not one, but I had the privilege of playing alongside of them. And seriously, for two years, we did not lose a game of football. And we looked like a footy team. We'd run out on the field, our socks were up, our uniforms looked pretty neat. And when we ran out on the team, on the field, we actually intimidated you because we were confident we were going to win before the game started. We were certain we were going to win. So when you saw us run out, you were already intimidated. You didn't want to come out because you were playing Trinity. And we were the best side in the competition. And we ran faster and we jumped higher and we kicked straight up. We were a fabulous footy side. So for two years, I learned what it means to be in a winning side. There's an attitude, there's an understanding, there's an optimism, there's an enthusiasm, there's something fabulous about being in a winning side. Have you ever had that experience? For the same two years, I was the captain of my local footy side, Riverton District Junior Football Club, under-18s. And I don't think we won a game in two years. I don't remember winning a game in two years. Every Saturday afternoon, I'd run out with Trinity and we'd kill the opposition. Every Sunday afternoon, I'd run out with Riverton and we'd get killed by the opposition. I don't think we won a game. And if you could compare those two sides, it would be amazing to think about it. I don't think the Riverton guys had their socks up. I think the uniforms were messy. Some of them would go surfing all Sunday morning and turn up to the game. If you've been surfing all morning, you're exhausted. Some of them were out at the pub last night and all the way through to the start of the game. You imagine what they were like. So we were a rabble. And we get out in the field and we didn't expect to win the game. So if you don't expect to win the game and you're an Aussie bloke, what do you do? You pick a fight. That's what Aussie guys do. If they're no good at something, they pick a fight. If they can't win, they pick a fight. Because they're not going to admit you're better than them. They'll pick a fight. And so we had fights. They brought the police to our games a few times just to calm everything down. Terrible, terrible footy side. So for two years I had the experience of playing in a losing side. Two years of winning, two years of losing. Which would you rather? You got it. John, the apostle, would prefer that you play like Trinity than like Riverton. And the whole point of the book of Revelation is to get you to lift your eyes up and to think about the fact that our God reigns and his salvation and power and authority have indeed come and we should play in the light of that. Have you got it? Revelation's about a winning mindset. If you played a game of football and the scoreboard was up there already and the scoreboard said your side won, how are you going to play? Better. Scoreboard said your side lost, how are you going to play? Worse. 
but the scoreboard says that we win. Now, we need to be reminded of that because the messages from our society are not necessarily to that effect. We're often told that we're a bit weak and we need to crush a religion and we're marginal and we're shrinking and we're blah, 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 blah. They can say what they like. In the eyes of God, you're the most significant people in this community. This church and others like it are the most significant institutions in this community. We are the light of the world. We are the soul of the earth. We are the hope of the world. You can say amen if you want. Good. Only if you believe it. Otherwise, stay quiet. But if you believe it, say something. Yeah. And the apostle wants you and I to believe that God's at work in our lives and at work in our activities and that together we will make a significant difference in our community. So we win because God wins. There's the message. But then in verse 11, he spells it out a bit. He says, how do we win? And he names three things. And you can pass over them and miss them. But he says three things. He said, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, number one, the word of their testimony, number two, and I'll paraphrase the last one, the quality of their lives. They didn't love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Let's think about those three things for a minute. They, you, we, overcame him, the devil, by the blood of the lamb, which refers to the gospel of Jesus Christ, which refers to the events of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which tells us that we win when we remember one thing. And the one thing we remember is that we've only got one thing to say, and that is Jesus Christ. Our message is Jesus Christ. What did John the Baptist say? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's our message. I've seen a movie a few times over the years. Probably first saw it when I was a kid watching Saturday morning movies in the holidays. It's called The Perils of Pauline. Silent movie with words down the bottom. The Perils of Pauline. And in this movie, uh, there's, a, there's a scene. In fact, this is sort of the, the core of the movie where Pauline, in peril, of course, is in this scene. And there's a horse, a black horse, with a man dressed in black with a pencil-thin moustache riding across the plain. And draped across the neck of the horse, there's Pauline in white flowing dress, chiffon or something like that. And, uh, and down the bottom of the screen, when you see Pauline looking up with her pale face filled with terror, uh, words come across the bottom of the screen. Guess what they are? Help, help, help. Well, that's how I read it. Help, help, help. And so the, the villain rides across the plain, jumps off his horse, grabs Pauline, takes her off the horse, and he, he ties her to a railway track. Have you seen it? Ties to the track and down the bottom of the screen it goes, help, help, help. And then the camera pans out and the railway track curves around in the distance and coming around the track there's a train. Great, big, powerful steam train with a cow catcher on the front. And the camera pans back to Pauline and she goes, help, help, help. Out to the train and back to Pauline, out to the train and back to the Pauline and out to the train, Pauline, to the train fills the screen, this great, big, fierce locomotive. And that train hits her, she's dead. She'll probably get away, won't she? Because most Hollywood movies have a happy ending. But this 
This one could have been made in France. <laughs> so you wait to see what happens. Train fills the screen. And just at that moment, riding across the plain on a white horse, comes our hero. Looks like me. <laughs> Rides across, jumps off his horse, cuts the ropes, grabs Pauline, lifts her up off the track and the train, rushes through where she was just a moment ago. And she swoons in his arms. You seen this? She swoons in his arms as the sun sets behind them. It's a beautiful moment. They're going to live happily ever after. Until they have children. Yeah. But there it is. Now the Bible says that everyone you know, everyone you know, and you live in a pretty affluent part of Sydney. In fact, in the world, you've got to be in the top 0.1% of affluence in the world. So you live in a pretty insulated, wealthy society. And everyone around you gets pedicures and manicures and facials and dresses well. And they all look like everything's perfect. And the Bible says they're dead in their trespasses and sins. That's the Bible's judgment on all those perfect people. Dead in trespasses and sins. No matter how good they look. No matter how much money's in the bank. Dead in trespasses and sins. That's the Bible's understanding of the human condition. We could spell it out for hours, but that's it in a nutshell. Humans created to know and love and live in fellowship with God live in alienation from God. Live separated from God. Live alienated lives. Live disconnected lives. Live messy lives underneath all the beauty and order. Dead in trespasses and sins. That's what the Bible says. The Bible also says that at just the right time, if you read the King James, in the fullness of time, God sent his son, born of a woman, to die for us. So going back to our story, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, and just before the train hit you, he cut the ropes and set you free. If you've never done that, you're still on the tracks. So the good news is, at just the right time in your life, God set you free through Jesus Christ. The challenging news is the train hit Jesus. We've got four Gospels in the New Testament. They all talk about the life of Jesus. They're not really biographies. They're sort of like passion plays because the majority of the text is dedicated to the last few hours of Jesus' life. And the culmination of those Gospels is a scene that you know well because we commemorate it at Easter. There's a cross. And on the cross is the eternal Son of God became man, Jesus Christ. And blood runs from his head and from his hands and from his feet and from his side and forms a pool below him, the blood of the Lamb. And around the cross there are Roman and Jewish authorities who thought that whatever was going on here, they've defeated a troublesome person. And around the cross were his own disciples, who after three and a half glorious years of optimism, following Jesus, don't know what to do now. 
And if you take the book of Revelation seriously, around the cross there was a whole host of Satan and his demons who didn't know what God was doing in Jesus Christ, but they thought they'd beaten it. So the judgment of creation was that Jesus was defeated. He did utter these three words, it is finished. But of course they weren't the sad cries of a defeated man. They were words of triumph. They were words of completion. He had done what he came to do. He'd taken on the sin of the world and in his death absorbed and extinguished it and rose again in the power of the Spirit to declare that sin is defeated. In the temple in Jerusalem, the, t- the curtain tore in half from top to bottom. At that moment, to signify that there's now nothing to separate you and I and everyone else in your life from coming to know God through a new and a living way through the body of Jesus Christ. And that's our message. Jesus died for you. You need to believe in him. And when you do, your life will change. In fact, you will find life. You'll be set free from that railway track before the train hits you at just the right time. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's our message. There are lots of other things we say, and they're all applications of that message, but that's our message. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. They also overcame him by the word of their testimony. And that simply means that you and I must declare this message for it to have efficacy. We must declare it. The message untold doesn't achieve anything. The message told makes a difference. I read many years ago that the church is one generation from extinction. That generation will be the generation that did not declare Jesus. But Jesus said, if I'm lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Maybe my lowest day as a pastor was when I was pioneering 30 years ago. And we had a Sunday morning where we had a little group of people there. And it was a bit of a rabble, really. I was leading the songs and playing the guitar. And my wife was playing the keyboard to cover up my mistakes. And we had a little, we was a pioneer church, so you get every weird person. And it was a funny little thing. And we were wondering what was going to happen. Could God do anything in the midst of this? And on this Sunday morning, a woman came into church. She'd been invited by another woman in our church who couldn't come that Sunday morning, but she came to church. And in the midst of our disorganisation, she actually committed her life to Jesus Christ. She responded to a simple altar call and committed her life to Jesus Christ. I remember that morning, I had a small word from God. I said, you don't know why you're here. I thought the word was for me. You don't know why you're here, but, but I brought you here to meet with me and she committed her life to Jesus Christ. She couldn't come back to church next Sunday, but she invited her friend. Next Sunday was, was my worst, worst day. Because the stadium that we were meeting in was uh, taken away from us last, with very little notice. We had a plan. It was spring and we were going to meet on the foreshore where people having fish and chips could listen to us. So we set up to have church on the foreshore, but of course it rained. You'd been praying, it rained that Sunday morning. <laughs> so we were meeting in the CWA hall, which was a terrible, horrible, crummy, musty, smelly, awful hall. But there we were. 
And a friend came to the basketball stadium where someone in the car park sent her to the foreshore, where someone in the car park sent her to the city of Air Hall, where she committed her life to Jesus Christ. It's remarkable. You have to believe in God when you see these things. Over the next three months, at least 60 people committed their life to Jesus Christ. Because of my cleverness as a church leader? Absolutely not. Because of the grace of God? Absolutely. But that grace was worked out by people telling other people that they'd come to know Jesus Christ. They overcame him by the word of their testimony. It's how we win. And thirdly, they overcame him by the quality of their lives. We have a word in the English language that's called martyr. You know what it means. Someone who dies for their faith. In fact, it doesn't mean that in the Greek. The word martyros simply means a witness. Someone who saw something and they tell you what they saw. A witness. But it came to be associated with death because the early Christian leaders and many of the faithful in the churches would not back down in the face of death. They would testify to their faith in Jesus Christ no matter what pressure was put on them. And they would not back down. Martyr. The quality of their lives determined the efficacy of their proclamation. One of the early church fathers, Tertullian, he said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. I'm pretty sure that here in Chatswood, Willoughby, wherever you live, you're unlikely to have to die for your faith in Jesus Christ. It's unlikely that you'll die for your faith in Jesus Christ. But you do have to live for your faith in Jesus Christ. And I think that's actually harder, to live for your faith in Jesus Christ. Year in, year out, year in, year out. To live a vibrant, overcoming life for Jesus Christ. I committed my life to Jesus on the 17th of May, 15th of May, 1977. It's an awful long time ago. Most of you weren't born. Some of you are already old then, but it's a long time ago. And I was at university and I went into a church, a conservative Pentecostal church, and the culture clash couldn't have been worse. I was wearing my uniform, which was um, long hair and earrings and torn jeans and thongs and things, which is just a uniform. That's what you wore at university. But they all wore safari suits. <laughs> and by the way, the university fashion has prevailed, hasn't it? <laughs> Thank God for that. Um, and someone preached the gospel. A man called David Cartledge preached the gospel. I responded. I committed my life to Jesus Christ. All the safari suits gathered around me and prayed for me and cast out the various demons. Um, demon of earring. I remember a demon of an earring being cast out of me. <laughs> Funny the things you remember. Demon of an earring uh, and other demons. <laughs> Fixed me up, prayed that I might receive the Holy Spirit. I started a few words. And uh, then we went home and I woke up the next morning and said, what have I done? And can I get out of it? which is what every new believer in Jesus Christ thinks. And the reason I'm here today is because of the quality of the life of the people I encountered in that church. They were fully committed to Jesus Christ. They took me under their arm. They discipled me. We were talking about Tony McLennan before. He'd come around to where I live and make sure I'd made my bed. Um, <laughs> they, really, they really looked after me. 
And we were, so, we were too busy to backslide in that church. <laughs> so fully involved in the work of the Lord. And what a fabulous start in the Christian faith. They overcame him by the quality of their lives. So what does John say to us? He says, look at the scoreboard. God wins. Look at the scoreboard. We win. Start to lift up your eyes. Start to raise your expectation. Start to think like a winner. Run out in the field like Trinity, not like Riverton. Play like winners. Declare Jesus in word and in deed. Father, I pray for each of us that we might indeed receive the word of the Apostle John and realize that we're overcomers in Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. Thanks for choosing to listen to the Life Source Christian Church Audio Lounge. If you like this week's podcast, then please share it with a friend. More information about who we are is available at lifesource.org.au. On behalf of Senior Ministers John and Ann Giuliano, we look forward to connecting with you next time at the Life Source Christian Church Audio Lounge.